Today's scripture comes from the prophet Micah, chapter 5, verses 1 through 6. Now muster your troops, O daughter of troops. Siege is laid against us. With a rod they strike the judge of Israel on the cheek. But you, O Bethlehem, Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be the ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient days. Therefore he shall give them up until the time when she who is in labor has given birth. Then the rest of his brothers shall return to the people of Israel. And he shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God, and they shall dwell secure, for now he shall be great to the ends of the earth. And he shall be their peace when the Assyrian comes into our land and treads in our palaces, when we will rise against him seven shepherds and eight princes of men. They shall shepherd the land of Assyria with the sword and the land of Nimrod at its entrances. And he shall deliver us from the Assyrian when he comes into our land and treads within our border. The word of the Lord. Well, today we are finishing our Christmas road trip. We have journeyed to Nazareth, to Jerusalem, into Egypt, and now we are in the little town of Bethlehem. And we've been trying to look at how these cities, how these places have something to say. They're almost like characters in the story, and they mean something to what is going on. They help identify this baby being born at Christmas. And now the city central to this Christmas story, O little town of Bethlehem. Here is Bethlehem on a map. It's in the southern half of Israel. Uh, it's not even 10 miles south of uh, Jerusalem. It's very, very close to the city of Jerusalem. Here is Bethlehem today. It's a very uh, large city, a uh, pretty diverse city on the East Bank, part of Palestinian territory. Um, here it is somewhere around 1862. You can see even then much more modest than it is now, but... Uh, uh, in the first century, probably only maybe a thousand people lived there, maybe a few more. It's a city that would swell when there were Passover, when there were holidays, the city would get huge. But most people that regularly lived there, uh, not too many. This is perhaps what Bethlehem would have looked like, although uh, you can see sort of fortified walls there. Uh, those aren't added till after Jesus is around. So it wasn't even a fortified city uh, during Jesus's day. Uh, but notice the sort of rolling hills, right? Uh, that we're still in the Judean mountains, but, but they're rolling. They're much milder here. Let's look at Jerusalem. So this is Jerusalem uh, from the Mount of Olives. There's the Temple Mount there. What you notice is it's very rocky, right? And it's very hilly. Everything's very steep. Okay? There's no place to grow stuff. Okay, the Mount of Olives is about the only thing they can grow is olives. Okay, they have olives in this, in this one mountain. Really, for the rest of the place, there's no place to grow grain. It's all hilly. It's too rocky. Okay, now it gets so hot, things don't grow there. And then gets very cold in the rainy season. 
Okay, so what do you, where, do, where do all these people get food? Where do all these people get grains? Okay, now over there where the Dome of the Rock is in the picture is where the, the Jewish temple was. And there there were often sacrifices. But where did the lambs come from? They couldn't have the lambs on these rocky, very hilly places. No. Much of the food, much of the grain, the animal sacrifices had to come from somewhere that was a little bit milder, that had actual fields you could grow things in, that sheep could move around in. Much of the food, much of the sacrificial animals that would come to Jerusalem came from Bethlehem. Bethlehem, the nearby city. In fact, the, uh, the name Bethlehem is in Hebrew, Beit Lechem. Okay, you read it from right to left. You all knew that, right? Okay, two words, Beit Lechem. Let's try to say those together. Beit Lechem. Now, we don't have this noise in our language, but it's a guttural sound. You have to like be getting stuff in your throat and then stop it real fast. So you don't have... Beit Lechem. Try it again. Beit Lechem. Now, apologize to the person in front of you. You just spit on. Okay? Beit means house. Lechem is the Hebrew word for bread. Bethlehem, Bethlehem means house of bread. But even in those days, like today, bread wasn't just bread. If you break bread with somebody, a phrase we don't really use anymore, but you don't just eat bread when you eat bread, break bread with somebody. You eat food with them. So it's the house of bread or could be called the house of food. Uh, the Arabic word here actually can mean uh, house of meat or house of blood. The Aramaic word, I'm sorry. Okay, So this place is known for the bread, the grains, the meat, the sheep. Why? Because Jerusalem and surrounding cities that were in the mountains couldn't have stuff if it wasn't for Bethlehem, if it wasn't for Bethlehem. Bread, meat, fruit, sacrificial animals. Bethlehem was the help and the sustenance that came for Jerusalem. And by sustaining Jerusalem, it was the city that helped save all the people. Okay, now, even though it's milder, we need to understand that when we say fields, okay, it's not fields like Western PA has. Okay, my grandparents had fields. It's nothing like Bethlehem fields. Okay, this is the one area of Bethlehem still kind of, uh, kind of resembles what this area might have looked like. And uh, you can't see it too well. Can somebody hit that light? Give you a little bit better view. Um, but see how it's really rocky and uneven? Okay, it's still not flat like Western PA fields, okay? But it's flatter than Jerusalem, okay? It's grassier than Jerusalem. So this area is called the Shepherd's Fields, um, and they leave it there. There's a chapel there. Uh, there's even some caves where uh, they found artifacts saying that um, the shepherds actually would use some of those caves. So we know these are fields that were used by shepherds, maybe even in the time of Jesus, now, let me tell you a funny story. I was uh, here in Israel earlier this year, and I showed up at the shepherd's fields after going to, the, to uh, the Church of the Nativity, which I'm going to show you in a little bit. And so I'm very much thinking about the birth of Jesus and the Christmas story. And then I look across the street, and I see this. Now, this is the shepherd's, the shepherd's coffee shop, but then I notice this. The Boaz Field Souvenir Shop. Now, it was closed. We didn't go in it. But I had this sudden shock. Boaz was from here. Boaz, from the story of Ruth, you know this story? 
Uh, Ruth is a Moabite, and her, she with her mother-in-law, they lose both their husbands. They end up coming back to Bethlehem uh, to try to find life and try to find sustenance. She ends up meeting this guy named Boaz. They get married and live happily ever after. It's this great, great story. Um, but Boaz was from here. See, even in the Old Testament, Bethlehem is not just a place of sustenance. It's a place of salvation. Okay, Boaz saves this family. And then I thought, oh my goodness, wait a minute. Okay, uh, Boaz and Ruth had a son named Obed. Obed had a son named Jesse. Jesse had multiple sons, but the youngest of whom was who? David. King David. And in a flash, my, in my head, I was like, I was thinking about the Christmas story here. But, but wait a minute. David was in these fields watching his flocks by night. This is where David was from. Not only Boaz, but David. So this is where provisions come from. This is where the sacrificial animals come from. This is where salvation comes to Ruth and Naomi. This is where the great king comes for all of Israel. Think about all that meaning wrapped up in this little dinky town. Okay, this little dinky town, but it's the symbol of hope and of care for the people of Israel. No wonder when Micah is wrestling, when the prophet Micah is wrestling with what's going on and the exile that's coming, where does hope come from? Where does salvation come from? Where will God provide us an answer from? But you of Bethlehem, Ephrathah. Okay? Of course it's from Bethlehem, because that's where hope comes from. That's where salvation comes from. That's where care comes from. Matthew then quotes this passage, making sure that we don't miss the connection that he's trying to make. Okay? That whereas uh, Micah is looking for this hope in the exile, Matthew is trying to tell us, but, but the real hope, the real Savior, okay, the real King is coming in this baby Jesus. It is here that Jesus is born. And according to Luke, Joseph and Mary are part of this lineage. Joseph, being of the house and lineage of David, has to go there for this census. Okay, And, and, and uh, so that's how we end up with Bethlehem in the story. They've got to go. Now, when they arrive, we often get our stories a little bit confused. Okay, uh, Number one, the text is very clear that while they're there... Uh, the, the days come for her to have the baby. So in a lot of the movies, she, her water is breaking on the donkey, which is not in the Bible either. There's no donkey. And uh, she comes running in trying to find a place, and she has the baby that night. No, the, the text is actually very clear. They're there. They probably come a couple months early so to make sure that they're there for her to have the baby. And then there is this infamous line, there's no room at the inn. The word in is a, really a pretty terrible translation of this uh, Greek word, and it, uh, it, it doesn't actually fit the story very well. So I don't want to ruin all of your um, nativity sets, but I want to make sure we understand what a house was like in Bethlehem at the time here. Okay? Um, and, and in fact, this, this text is often used in, in sermons, like make sure that you're not like that innkeeper, Right? But I'm going to tell you right now, Bethlehem is too small to have a hotel. Okay? Nobody vacations in Bethlehem. You understand? You don't go there unless you've got to go there. 
Okay? There's no inn. There's no hotel. And the word here, uh, Luke uses a different word for inn uh, during the parable of the Good Samaritan. And it is not the word he uses here. So, so let me show you a couple of versions of what maybe a first century house was like in this little town of Bethlehem. Okay? Uh, here, here is one possibility, sort of a, a just basic layout of a house. Notice the animals in the house. Okay? Uh, I don't know if you looked at those pictures of those fields. There aren't a lot of, there aren't a lot of trees. Okay? There's not enough trees for everybody to have a barn. So almost certainly nobody had barns. Okay, you didn't even make your house out of a lot of wood. Okay, so I'm sorry, all these nativity sets. It's really probably not out of wood. Okay, they, you kept your animals in your house because it got cold at night. And so you needed the heat of the animals. You had to bring them in. And nobody had fenced in yards. So you didn't want your animals running around at night. Uh, so this is one design where you see the animals come in. You would have had mangers on the ground here. And then you could sleep up above... Uh, in, a, in a room that was up above the animals. Here's another very common outline. Uh, this was put together by a guy named Ken Bailey, who was a, a local scholar, but really did some important stuff. Okay? But what would happen is a lot of times you'd build your house on kind of a hill, so there'd be a lower area. Okay? And your animals could come down there at night, and that way they're not messing with you while you're sleeping. Everybody who has kids understands this problem, right? Okay? Sheep will do the same thing to you. They'll try to get in bed with you. Okay, so you, you have a separate area that was down low for your animals, see the stables. A lot of times you would have your manger then, your feeding trough sort of up at that next level in that family room. And then a lot of times you would have a guest room sort of on the back of the house or an upper room that you would have an, a guest room. And the Greek word for that room is called a kataluma. Kataluma, and that's the word that Luke says there's no room in the kataluma. Okay, so it's not an inn, it's probably a guest room. And in fact, Luke uses the exact same word, kataluma, for the upper room that Jesus has the Lord's Supper in. Okay, uh, so there's an interesting sort of parallel there. Okay, they don't meet in a hotel. Okay, they don't get a banquet hall in a hotel for the Last Supper. Okay, they, they are in an upper room, like a guest room on the top of the house. Okay, a little nicer house, you would build a second story. Okay, um, here is the best picture I have found to describe this. It's made out of Legos, but it is the best way. But you can see the sort of sunken mangers, the living room, the kataluma on the back of the house, uh, the lowered animal stall. You can sort of see how this would work then. Okay, um, probably mangers were a natural crib. They're in the living room, right? There's not a lot of wood for you to make your own uh, 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 crib, so you would use the manger, okay? Here are mangers. These are pictures of mangers from the time of Solomon that I took at the city of Megiddo, okay? Mangers were probably, again, not made out of wood, probably either made out of stone or sunken spots in the floor where you would lay hay and then be able to uh, feed your animals. And so I, I personally think Jesus is born in a house and laid in a manger because in those days, Houses had mangers. Now, one other option is that he was born in a cave, um, but there aren't that many caves around there. Typically, caves that you would, you would cut would be under your house. You could cut a cave underneath your house and use that stone then, the limestone, to make your house. That's the assumption at the Church of the Nativity. 
Okay, Church of the Nativity in, in uh, Bethlehem, beautiful, beautiful church. Uh, one of the oldest churches that you can find because while a lot of these other churches were burned to the ground, um, when some of the people who were attacking came in, they saw people of their own nation and of their own language. The wise men painted on the walls that didn't have Jewish names but had names like theirs. And so they ended up sparing this. And so it's one of the oldest churches. It's been redone a number of times. Uh, there's the paintings. And uh, in one of those paintings is still the mosaic of the wise men that spared this church. Um, now, if you go to Israel, it is a very long line to get down to this cave. And, and really, honestly, we don't know if it's the right cave or if it was a cave. Again, I'm sort of partial to the house argument. But when I was over there, we did not wait in the two-hour line to go down there because right next to uh, the, uh, the cave that this church honors is the tomb of St. Jerome. St. Jerome, has, his remains have been moved, but he was buried there for a long time. He's the guy that translated the Bible into Latin, what became the Vulgate, and also had commentaries on the Gospels. And so we went down, and it was. It was kind of a ramp to go down there to a cave that looks like it's been carved out. And, uh, um, and so very similar. In fact, we could peek through a window and see where everybody was waiting two hours in line for but we got to sit there and really have our own time because there was nobody in Jerome's cave. So if it was a cave, it's probably not a cave on the back of a house. It's probably a cave underneath the house with sort of a ramp down to it. And very similar to the other design then, your animals would go down there at night and uh, then you would, uh, uh, then the heat would still rise up into your house. So, was Jesus born in a cave or house? I tend to think house will probably never totally know. Okay? Um, what is so interesting is this passage from Micah that Matthew connects Bethlehem to Jesus with, right? That there are local shepherds using these fields, the same fields as Boaz, the same fields as David, and probably the sheep that they are raising are sheep for animal sacrifice at Jerusalem. Okay, the chances are good they are actually taking care of sheep that are going to be sacrificed to Passover someday. And angels show up, sing to them, and tell them to go find this baby wrapped in cloth and lying in a manger. It, it does appear Passover lambs had to be perfect without blemish. And when sheep first start learning how to walk, they often kick and fall over, and they end up getting blemishes because they fall over. So oftentimes, the shepherds, when you've got a baby lamb, you would wrap them in cloth and you would tend to lay them. Where would you probably lay these lambs? Probably in the nearby manger till they had an hour or so and then you sort of helped un unwrap them and help them sort of walk without getting a blemish. So why Bethlehem? Bethlehem tells us so much. It's not just where Jesus was born, you understand. It tells us about the identity of this Jesus. Bethlehem is where salvation comes from. It's where sustenance comes from. It's where the sacrificial lamb comes from. It's where the greatest king that Israel had ever seen came from. And it's where Jesus comes from. Jesus, the bread of life, born in the house of bread. He is the Savior born in the town of Boaz, the Savior. He is the king born in the hometown of King David. He is the sacrificial lamb born in the place where Passover lambs are born. 
And he has testified to shepherds that are probably watching some of those same Passover lambs. From simple beginnings, sung by angels, to gruesome death, taunted by crowds, to resurrection and glorification as eternal king. And the story all starts in a little town of Bethlehem. May this town, may this story inspire you as Christmas comes. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.